foundation for today's message is once again found in the glorious book of Jeremiah in chapter 29, and today we'll be looking primarily at verses 29 and 14. And once again, our title is called In His Time. In His Time. Tony Evans once shared a childhood illustration involving himself, his mother, and fried chicken. Uh, Pastor Evans started and stated, when it was my turn to pray as a child, I would often pray with my eyes open. I prayed to God for that thigh that I had my eyes on. Sometimes during the middle of the prayer, I unfold my hands and let one of them slip onto the table near the chicken so that I would be halfway to my goal when the prayer was over. I wasn't really thinking about God. I was thinking about chicken. I just had to get rid of God to get to the chicken. Sadly, sometimes we just use prayer as a way for us to get rid of God so that we can get to the chicken. We go through the motions, we open our mouths and we talk, but our minds are really focused on what we really want. And that is something that is not God. This morning, we're going to address two points, lean on him and rely on him. So as we begin our journey, we look at our first point, lean on him, and we find these words in verse 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. As you may recall, the people of Israel were being refined because they had turned away from God and had trusted in false gods. They had accumulated idols to themselves. They were adopting the sinful customs and pagan practices of the people surrounding them. They were no longer depending on God with a pure heart, but their hearts had become hardened towards God and the things of God. So as we look at our curtain rising on our text, we see these words, you will call upon me. I like that word then because that gives us a mindset of that timing. After the completion of your appointed 70 years of exile, then you will call upon me. So he says, this is not going to move my 70 years. You're still going to go through the 70 years of exile. But when the 70 years are over, then you will call upon me. You will call upon me realizing that I am true to my word, that I have a plan for you, and you still have a future for me. Then you will call on me. After the 70 years of refinement, the exiled children of Israel would be invited to call upon the Lord to cry out to the Lord. See, anytime that God says call upon him, he is telling us that he is inviting us to get into a conversation with him. He is inviting us. 
So every time we do pray, we have accepted the invitation that God has given us. Every time we refuse to pray, that means you were given an invitation and you said, no, thank you. There are always times to call upon God throughout our spiritual journey with God. God invites us to call when we're happy and rejoice. Why? So we can give thanksgiving to him for the blessings he has given us. He tells us and invites us to call when we're sad. Because he says, when you're sad, call on me, pray to me, and you will find comfort. Mm. God invites us to call when we're guilty and encounter his cleansing. God says, I'm inviting you to come to me even when you're all messed up, even when you're dirty with all the sin. I'm inviting you to come. And when you come, you share what you've done, and I will cleanse you. Some of us know we done, we done, done some mess. We've been like Pigpen and Charlie, Ch and Charlie Brown, and we're thinking by just putting on some new clothes, putting on some cologne, putting on some perfume, that's going to cleanse us. And God says, I still smell your stench. You can't get cleansed until you accept my invitation to come before me. God invites us to call when our world is turned upside down. And God says, watch me reveal a new world to you. Some of us have been in those times where we thought there was nothing in this world for us. There was no hope. There was nothing. And God says, let me show you a new world. But I can only see that new world if I accept his invitation to call on him. He says, not only will you call, but you will come to me. This word come can also be translated go. It's the ideal being that they engage in an active pursuit of God, retracing the steps of their sinful wandering from him, a recognition of their abandonment of him, and a returning to him in repentance. See, even after the 70 years are gone, he still expects them to repent. Just like we saw with the prodigal son. He went off into the distant country, but the father was still expecting him to repent. Because I cannot come to you if I have an unrepented heart. Mm. He says, not only will you call on me, not only will you come to me, but the one we're going to spend a lot of time on this morning you will pray to me. So he's telling them what's going to happen after the 70 years. You're going to call upon me, you're going to come to me, and then you will pray to me. He doesn't say you might, he does not say you may, he says you will. See, God is saying you're going to go on through so much in those 70 years, you're going to come crying to me. Because God can put a, a whooping on us that will break us to the point that we will say, Lord, Lord, I need to talk to you. I've been doing everything I thought I could do. I did everything I thought I was big and bad enough to do. But now I understand I need to come to you in prayer. Well, what are the aspects of prayer? The first aspect is the practice of prayer. If we ever expect God to hear our prayers then we must first offer them up. Mm. See, that's one of those ones that's so simple that it becomes profound. I can't pray to God until I first pray to him. And a lot of times, you know what we always say a lot of times, I'm going to pray. 
I'm going to pray. I'm going to get to the prayer. And God is saying, I'm waiting, waiting, waiting for us to get into a conversation, an encounter with one another where we are talking and sharing with one another. If we are facing a situation, and all of us at some point or another are facing some situation, even when we've come here to church today, God is saying the question that you should always be asking yourself, have I taken this situation to prayer? Not did I take it to my girlfriend, not did I take it to my spouse, not did I take it to my whatever, not did I took it to Pastor Denny, the first question you ought to have is, have I spent time in prayer on this situation? Marital problem, have you prayed? Health problems, have you prayed? Work problem, have you prayed? Financial problem, have you prayed? Your children, have you prayed? Before you go to any other person, before you go to any other book, before you watch any other thing on TV to tell you what to do, have you personally taken time to pray to him? And when most of us talk, we say one of the things that we need to do more in our life is to pray. And God is saying, I cannot begin this process with you until you pray with me. Hmm. Even though he knows our hearts, even though he knows our thoughts better than we will ever know them, God still desires us to pray. So as a child of God, that should be one of the things that I am actively pursuing. I'm asking you, asking you, God, help me to become a better prayer to you. And if I begin to talk with you more, God, then my focus is no longer on the situation. It's no longer on the spouse. It's no longer on the kids. It's no longer on the money. It's no longer on this. It's on you. And that's where God wants it on him. God has ordained that his children should pray and make their supplications known unto him. Sadly, prayer is often a last resort for too many Christians. Many times we feel as if we can handle our problems or just fail to see the need to seek assistance, we still think we are big enough, bad enough, smart enough to do it ourselves. I don't need no help. I don't need any assistance. I already got this. I already went through this four times. You should be coming to me because I can tell you what to do. And God is saying, no, come to me. We ought to be interested in acquiring all that God has planned for us. And if we are to achieve his will for our lives, we must seek him in prayer and pray in the spirit for him to tell us, what do you want me to do? No believer wakes up and knows exactly what God wants him to do today or tomorrow. But we do have an obligation to talk to God. What do you have on your agenda for me today? How do you want to use me today? Now, sometimes you're going to say, I want to use you today to take your butt to that nine to five and work. Sometimes you're going to say, what I need from you today is to be that mother or father, that son or daughter that you have been called to be. But sometimes he may have a special thing. He may have you to make a call. He may have you to send a text. He may have you to go visit somebody. He may have you to do this. He may even have the audacity to say, today I want you to pray for this person. And the only way I'm going to find out is to talk to him. 
It's no magical thing. It's no spiritual thing. It's a conversation thing. Because don't we already try to do it? Because the world is constantly telling us to do this. Have you talked with your spouse to find out what they need from you today? And we say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that sounds good. That sounds good. And God is saying, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing with me. So when was the last time we asked God, what do you need of me today? Or are we afraid to ask that question because he might have a long list? <laughs> what hospital are they in? They're in Evanston. You know how far Evanston Hospital is? Why aren't they in South Suburban where they're close? And God is saying, no, I have need of you to go to Evanston. Evanston? We ought to be interested in praying and knowing that when we pray, we're praying in the spirit. We were talking about that in class this morning. We were talking about, we do know that we can pray, pray in the flesh. Amen, amen, amen. So God wants us to pray in the spirit. Now, once again, we have people that butcher this interpretation and say, oh, praying in the spirit is speaking in tongues. No, it's not. Praying in the spirit is allowing the spirit to lead you in your prayers. Because God knows that we can pray and pray from the flesh. How do I know that? James chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. Because he says, if we are to achieve his will for our lives, we must seek him in prayer in the spirit. Here's what it says in James. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So when we pray to God, please, God, I want to do this. Please, God, I want to do this. Please, God, I want to go here. Please, God, I want to go here. And God said, you are asking me with the wrong motive because you're asking me what's going to make you happy, what's going to bring you pleasure. So God already knows us inside and out. So he's saying, when you're praying, you're supposed to be praying what is going to bring glory to you, God. Somebody was talking about today, I think it was Joseph or someone, they were talking about if the Bible says if you first seek him, when was the last time our first prayers were, how are you going to get glory, God? Because most of the time our prayers are, how am I going to get glory? How am I going to be happy? How am I going to have pleasure? And God is saying, that's the wrong motive. And God is letting you know, you're not going to get it. So that teaches us already. You can open your mouth, close your eyes, bow your head, and if your motives are wrong, God did not hear it. Because he knows it's with the wrong motives. Mm. The promise of prayer. God has promised that he will hearken to those who call upon him in prayer. So see somebody who don't interpret, break scripture down and say, well, Pastor, that's the opposite. Because you're saying now if you call upon his name in prayer, he's going to answer. You call upon him as he told you how to call upon him. In the right spirit, with the right frame of mind. whole bunch of folks done called upon him and they have the wrong motives. He said, I am not obligated to answer your prayer. Mm. God has promised that he will hearken. We have the assurance that God will listen when we pray. There is never a time that a heartfelt prayer falls on deaf ears. Amen. Thank you. I got one amen over here. Psalms 18.6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to God for help. 
He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry for help before him came into his ears. So now when I'm crying, if I'm crying to God to commit sin, you really think he's obligated to hear you? If you're doing something that goes directly against his word, you can scream and holler till you turn purple. He's not hearkening to hear you. But if I'm crying to you and say, God, I need you because I done messed up again. I don't know how I'm going to get this right. I cannot get it right without you. God says, I hear that. I hear my child crying out to me with humility. I hear my child recognizing they've done wrong. They're not coming in front of me and acting like they've done nothing wrong and then still thinking I'm obligated to give them what they want. Because, like I said, we know these principles on the horizontal because how many of us as parents had some child ask you for something and you know the little rascal been as bad as you don't know what? Then they come and ask you to do something for them. You're like, what? You got the nerve to come in here? So now all those times we said they had the nerve to come in here, now just imagine how many times you had the nerve before to go to the Heavenly Father. Mm. Isaiah 59.1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. I don't have to scream to God to get him to hear me. He hears me when he knows my heart is right. We was in one church a long time ago. I thought this was a, just not politically correct. I, did, I, I thought I must be in a church that this was a church of the deaf. Because everybody shouted. When the person gave the announcements, they're shouting. We got a dinner on Friday. I'm like, what the, what is this? God's not deaf. He hears when the heart is right. He hears when the heart is broken. He hears when the heart is calling out unto him. Now, we will not only have the promise of the prayer, but we have the persistence of the prayer. Many simply want to run to God in times of distress making a quick, hurried plea and expect God to move immediately. God wants us to be persistent in prayer and he wants us to actively pursue him in prayer. So, some of us go back in the time chamber. Some of us got to go back 20 years. The Coleman's got to go back 50 years. When you were dating that now Mr. or Mrs. and you put your last name in, you didn't more than likely just sit. You actively pursued. Now, some of them act like, no, I ain't pursuing them. They, they were pursuing me. Like, I live all that. Okay. So they, they got to get that bubble out of their head because ain't nobody all that that they think everybody's going to be pursuing them. So you did some actively pursuing. You did some calling. You did some contact. If it was a guy, you said, man, I don't want a day without calling. I better check in because I, I can't let too many days go by because I want them to know I'm interested in them. Men say, uh-huh. Amen. Uh, no. <laughs> and the woman is like, he ain't called in two or three days. I wonder what's up. You began to actively pursue them. God is saying, I am here, but I want you to actively pursue me. 
We got a relationship, but I want you to do your part to work on this relationship to work. And the only way it's going to work is that you're going to actively pursue me. And one of the ways that you actively pursue me is by being in constant prayer with me. Because you're not acting like you in charge, because you ain't. You ain't acting like you leading, because you're not. You're not acting like you got it all together that you don't need any help because you need help. So you are actively keeping in contact with him because you know he's your power, he's your joy, he's your peace, he's your everything. But if you don't know that, you can go long times without talking to him because you don't think you need him until a problem comes up. And now when a problem comes up, you want to pray. You want him to get you out. And God is saying, where were you all the other time? Where were you when I was blessing you and you never said thank you? I know it was ten of you lepers, but only one of you came back. We always read that and say, I know I'd be that one. Really? Really? Matthew 7, 7 and 8 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks, could say pursues, finds. And to find, and to him who knocks, it will be open. Once again, one of those scriptures that people run wild with. Don't ever have the mindset you think you can just knock over where you want to knock and he's going to open the door. But when we begin to butcher scripture, then we start saying, well, God, I've been knocking for a long time. And God says, I did not hear you because you were not knocking the way I want you to knock. Then in verse 13, it says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me. Then he puts those last three words, with all your heart. See, he's even telling you how you got to search for him. See, God don't leave a lot of stuff to our imagination. He tells you what he expects. Now, if you don't meet his expectation, the promises don't kick in. So he says, now if you search for me, you are searching for me with all your heart. Mm. Seeking. We are to seek God when we pray with all our heart, with a pure heart. That means we are to search him out and strive after him. So now when you begin to look at your life, you may come to church every Sunday. You might come to Bible study. You might have a family devotion. You might have this. But are you striving? Or are you just doing? Difference. He didn't say do, it said strive. And a lot of us just do. This was a, a survey with George, George Barner, which is a Christian uh, research group. And it said that over 90% of church-going Christians do not make decisions based on God's word or in seeking his will. Instead, Decisions are made based upon a person's own intellect, peers' opinions, or what they feel is right in their heart. Now, I hope that survey is off. Because <laughs> if it's 90% of Christians who attend church, their decision-making is not based on what God said, not what Joseph said earlier, that he is Lord, and he's the one that makes the decision. 
I'm praying that it ain't 90% of Christians that are making decisions on their own intellect, what other folks are doing, or what they feel is right. So now when you look at that, did any of those hit home with you when you make a decision? Is it what feels right? Is it what you see maybe even other believers doing? Or is it how smart you are? Your past experiences. And see, if we're not in the word, how are you going to make a decision? So when churches are not in the word and they got good choirs, they might have good preaching, but the saints ain't in the word. You just came for two hours to get a little fill up. But that fill up ain't going to last you too long. Because when a situation hits your life, you're going to be saying, what did Pastor Denny say? And it ain't, my words ain't got any power. You get a lot of amens on that. My words ain't got any power. What you need to do when that old enemy begins to attack you, you need to be able to say, it is written. Yes. Not what Pastor Denny said. Yes. Mm. We have to be careful that we are not praying just out of habit and not truly seeking the Lord. We're talking about this in the morning class as well. We can pray and pray and pray, but our prayers are more to move God than to follow God. I've even heard in some churches, they're saying, we're going to gather tonight and we're going to move God. <laughs> I say, okay, okay, you gonna move God. So God's hand was gonna go right, but we're gonna start praying. We're gonna start saying, God, move your hand left, move it left, move it left, move it left. Then if it happened to go left, you know, we start saying, Amen, praise the Lord, look at that, look at how look at how our prayers worked. <clears throat> hmm. So there's some dangerous sand traps in seeking God's will. Now, I'm not a golfer. The only golf I do is putt-putt golf, miniature golf, and I usually don't do well in that, especially when they have the wheel going and I can't get it through and all that kind of stuff. But those who might be golfers, there's something called a sand trap. So I do watch it on TV sometimes. So that means you, you, know, you hit the drive, you hit the tee, you got it there, but then it goes in the air and it falls right in the sand. And the sand is usually a big old hole with sand. Now to try to get that ball out of there, it's fun to see some of them because they just whacking and whacking and sand is just going everywhere and that ball don't move anywhere. So what are the dangerous sand traps in seeking God? One, sadly seeking him with our own agenda and purposes. You in a sand trap when you go into God with your own agenda, your own purpose, because when you're praying to God, you're merely asking God to rubber stamp your agenda. We are to be going to God to find out what his agenda is for us. Not for us to be going to him telling him what our agenda is. Do you understand how foolish we probably sound to God when we go to God in prayer and we tell him what we're going to do today? So now all you got to do is think back. You've been blessed to be a parent. And now let's say your six or seven year old child comes to you and they say, this is what we're going to do today. Now sadly, we're getting some foolish parents that are sitting up there saying, okay. Because they're enlightened. 
Or now it's a family decision that needs to be made, and now you're letting this, and the child might even be an unbeliever. you making letting this unbeliever child vote for what the family's going to do. Then the next minute you're saying we're a Christian family. Well, if you're a Christian family, what are you voting about? You're supposed to be teaching the children how you pray to God to find out what he wants us to do, not about how many votes you got. I wish I was in the house and Monty and Bryce outvoted me. <laughs> and that's how stupid we sound when we think we're going to outvote God. I want to do this. This is my plan. This is my agenda. And God is saying, what? Second one, sadly seeking after a false image of God. My God wouldn't do that. My God doesn't teach that. We, there's only one God. Don't say what he's not if it goes against his word. So you got a false image of God if God is never going to say no to you. You got a false image of God if he's not going to convict you with the Holy Spirit when you're doing something you ain't got no business doing. You say, well, my God, he's a God of love. So since he's a God of love, he wants me to be loving. He wants me to be happy just like he is. Really? Sand trap. Third sand trap. Sadly seeking after a God that seeks to make you happy. The happy God. So when I pray to God, I'm praying to him because he knows if I get this or I get to do that, I'll be happy. And I know he wants me to be happy. So I pray to him so he'll make me happy. Sandtrap. Sandtrap. Searching is to follow specifically in worship. Now this one, these next two kind of really hit me when I came across them. God doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve him. And for many of us, that is radical. Because we've been taught since we were little, we pray to God because God is up in heaven and he wants you to have what you want in life. And God is saying, wait a minute, you got it turned around. I'm not here to serve you. I'm here to be served. If we are to be effective in prayer, and we surely need to be, we must follow the Lord in the attitude of worship. We must recognize who we are praying to and have a holy reverence for him, a desire to please him, a desire to bring him glory. So when I'm praying about something, and when I do find myself in a hard situation, my prayer should be, how in the world, God, can I help you to get glory out of this situation? I done messed it up. I done done something sinful again. I've done something I had no business doing again. But God, how can you use me now to bring glory? It might be that I now ask for forgiveness from that person that I hurt or I harmed. It might be I come before my brothers and sisters and I say, I have brought shame to God and I want you to know, pray, pray for me. Because I don't want to bring shame to him anymore. But most of us, when we pray, we're normally thinking about us. What do I need from you? Instead of what do you need 
from me. Securing. God makes a profound promise to those who seek him in an attitude of worship. We are promised we can find him. What comes with finding him? See, in this scripture, this passage of scripture, you'll see often, you'll find me. You will receive me. You will come close to me. But see, some of us don't really understand the benefits of finding God. Well, finding God is that God is not lost, but we are lost to him. So God is saying, when you find me, by finding me, you're going to receive certain things. So when I find God, when I'm out there in the wandering, when I'm out there in the wilderness, when I'm out there in Sinville, when I find him, I find him by repenting. And when I repent, I find certain things with him. I was beginning to become more and more weak when I was out there doing what I wanted to do when I was distanced from you. But when I came back to you and found you, you restored my strength. Have some of us been in those times where we know we've been disobedient to God. We know we've been having our own fun. We've been doing what we want to do. God finally gets us to the point that we are broken by the Holy Spirit. And now we come back to God. And when we come back to God, it seems like all that weight is off of me. I now seem like I'm ready to fight. Whereas before I didn't think I could take another step. Now I'm ready to fight. Why? Because I have found him. And when I find him, I not only find strength, I find comfort, I find joy, I find peace. But I can only find that when I go back to him. But some of us are so willing to settle for strength, peace, joy, and happiness that the world provides. We're so willing to satisfy for false joy and false peace. And God is saying, I got something way better than that. Person said, anything that causes you and me to cry out to God is a great gift of his grace. It might have been even something that we saw it as a tragedy, as we saw it as a disaster. If that got you on your knees, that's exactly where God wants you to be. And if it was a tragedy and you still have breath, you still got an opportunity to do something with that tragedy. There is no greater power available to the saints of God than prayer. And we know it sometimes intellectually, but we don't live it as though it's our power source. Because if we truly believed it was our power source, we'd be running to pray as often as we could. But we have put other things and other people as our power source. And God is saying there is but one power source, and that's prayer, so me and you can be in tune with one another. And once I'm in tune with that power source, those mountains, those obstacles that looked like they were immovable become movable. We've all had the Goliaths in our lives. We all had the mountains in our lives. We've all had this or that in our lives. 
But when we begin to talk to God and God begins to talk to us and we talk to God and we talk with God, we share with God, we cry with God, we call out to God and God calls back to us and he talks with us. Those big things that were in our lives begin to shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink because we begin to realize my God is bigger than anything that's going to come in my life. Anything. Anything. But let's look on this last point. Rely on him. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. When you look at this verse, it's talking about relying on him, trusting on him. And that is something that happens in our lives over and over. Who do you really trust? In life. When little kids you know sometimes they're a little bit more easy to trust. Sadly, some of us, as we get older, we begin to trust less and less. You know, when we were little and you were going to sit down and you saw a chair, you had no problem just flopping down. As you start getting older, you start putting your hand back to make sure it's a sturdy chair so when you sit, it ain't going to move. Okay? When you were younger, I remember when I was younger and I'm growing up in Rockford, snow and ice, and I'm just sliding across the ice. Man, man, please, man. There ain't nothing, man. I'm going there. Now I'm, I'm doing an old man shuffle. <laughs> Not trusting my steps. Fearful that I may fall. So who do you trust? Who do you rely on? And God is saying, I have to be the one that you trust. Growing up, I hated whenever I would get a splinter in my hand. And a lot of times I would get them because my mother or father would tell me, don't go down the banister, slide your hand down the banister, because you can get a splinter in your hand. You know, I hear them and stuff, and here I go, I go down the banister, sliding down there, bam, got a splinter in there. Then I knew what was coming next. Somebody who don't have a doctor degree is about to operate on me. <laughs> So now my hand is shaking and stuff, and they, they got the needle, and they was worried about germs, I guess, so they would heat the needle. I'm like, oh, Lord. So, you know, I'm really sweating. Now, I'm looking at I'm seeing my mother, and, you know, she's even starting to get old in, so, you know, she's saying, don't move your hand. I ain't moving it. And she's like, okay, now I'm going to get that splinter out, and I'm just sweating and stuff. And I knew how much pain it was going to be to get it out. But give it a couple of weeks, a couple of months, I'm back down the slide and the banister again. Instead of holding on to the banister, I slid down the banister. Then I began to think, many of us refuse to trust God. We keep suffering painful splinters in our lives. Because instead of holding on to God and trusting him, we slide through life with God. And God is saying, don't slide with me. Trust me. Hold on to me. Cling to me. Some of us sitting here right now, we got splinters in our hands and our lives, and God is saying, you did not need to have that if you would have just trusted me. But you still want to do it your way. You still want to slide around. You get the splinters. So why should we trust God? Four reasons. One. Because God tells the truth, because he is true. Any one of us sitting in here is capable 
of lying. Somebody said, oh, no, that's not me. Okay, now you just proved it. You lied. Okay, so <laughs> all of us are capable of lying. God is not capable of lying. He always tells the truth. Why should we trust God? Because God loves us. Why should we trust God? Because God is in control. Anytime there's a problem, you want that person who's in control. You can be on your job and the machine breaks down there and you got that one person. We got this. We got this. I got to do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. You might be playing sports and you got that one person on the team. You're playing football. You come in the huddle. He said, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. This is what we're going to do. I'm in charge. Well, God is saying, I am ultimately in charge. So you ought to trust me because I'm in control. And four, we should trust God because he'll help. And he's able to help. See, some of us sometimes will say, I'd help you if I could. <laughs> God ain't going to ever say, I'll help you if I could. Because he's able. So therefore, I'm trusting you, God. I'm depending on you, God. I like how this closes. He closes with some I will statements. He didn't say I might. He says I will. But when I was reading this and looking at this, I said, go back and look at that 14. It shows you once again how God is in control because he's saying I've exiled you for 70 years. I'm the one that drove you to those places. So many of them went to Babylon, but there were probably some who didn't all go to Babylon. He says, I drove you to those places, but I am powerful enough to release you from those places. You think these other countries are just going to say we got free work and slaves and we're just going to give them up? God says, I put you there and I'll take you out. So don't let this other country think, oh, we in charge, we in control. No, you're not. You are there because I have you there. When I want you out, you out. So that's that freedom thinking. I'm not in bondage to anybody that God has not for some reason allowed me to be in bondage. And when he wants me out of it, he'll remove me out of it because they don't have the power like he has. So what did he promise he'll do? He says, I will be found by you. He didn't say, I'll find you. I will be found by you. You will be able to find me. God says, you can always find me because I'm on streets of faith and repentance. If you got faith and you repent, you'll always be able to find me. You on unrepented road, you'll never run into me. If you're in the lack of faith mode, you ain't going to never run on me. But if you got faith in me, if you're willing to repent in me, if you're willing to be humble with me, you will always find me. He says, not only will I be found by you, I will restore your fortune. You left and you've been gone for 70 years. You come back when I tell you to come back and you've done what I told you to do, I'm going to restore you. Job lost all that stuff in a day. What did God do? Restored him and then some when he got back. See, we start focusing on what we lost, and God said, do you not understand? I'm always going to be able to give you more than you lost. Mm. I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I have driven you, and finally, I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Bless you.
God is just showing you the, all those I will statements. And sometimes you need to go through the scriptures and see how many times God has says I will. Now don't just look for the I will. See if there's any conditional clauses on there. Because many times he says I will do this after you have done that. So don't do, go proof texting and say, well, Pastor says just go look at all the I wills. No, I, I'm glad we got a tape. Look at the whole text. But God is saying, you can trust me. If I said this is going to happen, it's going to happen. So what is God telling you in your life today that you still doubt? There's more than likely something in there. Something that you might have been struggling with for some time. Something that you haven't seen change for some time. And you starting to get to that point, I think this will never change. I've heard people throughout my life when I'm doing counseling or something, I don't think this is going to ever change. This ain't going to never change. It's always going to be this way. I'm listening to you and you're talking out of the flesh. Who are you to say something is never going to change if you allow God to be God in that situation? Because if you allow God to be God in that situation, he will do glorious, marvelous things. Not for you, for his glory. God does not like seeing his children running around, defeated, victims. Because we got a heavenly father that's victorious. You remember some of us, as I close, we used to live in those households, some of us did. And you know your parents, your mother and your father, whoever was your parent. And they said, don't leave this house and bring any shame to the family name. Now, that was nice, but they had an incomplete thought. It should be, if they're believers, don't leave this house and bring any shame to God's name. Because his name is more important than Denny, Smith, Jones, whatever your last name is. It ain't more important than not bringing shame to God, especially as a child of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, once again for this glorious day. We thank you, Lord, for traveling through Jeremiah once again. We thank you, Lord, for reminding us and showing us the importance of prayer to remind us and encourage us the importance of coming when you invite us. But when you invite us not to come with the mindset, I can come in any old fashion, but I come in the mindset of thanksgiving, I come in the mindset of worship, I come in the mindset that I want to be led by you and not lead you. I come with the mindset that my prayers are not meant to try to make you do something that you have no desire to do. My prayers are not meant to move your hand just a little bit faster so I can get what I want. My prayers are not to be solely for what I can get and what happiness and